0: So I made a big mistake yesterday. Took Becky to the rodeo and the stock show along with some other friends. And you know my wife was raised on a farm in Iowa and she has a compassion for animals that just will not stop. So I think we came home with a couple of goats and a cow or two. But we did have a great time. But how's the saying go, you can take the farm out of the girl, but you can't, no. You take the girl off the fa- out of the farm, but you can't, you know what I'm trying to say, something like that. I understand, um, I'm so glad that Josh gave that um, promotion to the ladies from Embrace Grace and Embrace Life and Flourish. Do we have some of those ladies sitting with us today? If you are, would you stand if you've been a part of Embrace Grace, Embrace Life, or Flourish? Wow. Thank you. Thank you for being here, and what an incredible ministry God has allowed to take place through some wonderful leaders in our church. Uh, just want to remind you, this is Immerse uh, Bible week number five, and um, we've had some uh, quite an interesting read this, uh, this past week. I know we head into 1 Samuel starting tomorrow, this afternoon whenever you start, so please Get your Immersed Bible going if you haven't yet and then start with week five with us and then catch up later if you have to. Just we need to know what the Word of the Lord is saying to us. And the church said? This past October, the um, Dove Awards for 2019 were handed out. I'm sure it was in Nashville. And a popular young lady from Louisiana won Artist of the Year, but also she co-wrote a song with a couple of others, that one song of the year. And the young lady happens to be a favorite of my wife, Becky, and her name is Lauren Daigle. Yeah. And the song, the chorus of the song, that one song of the year that has been so popular that we hear a lot, the chorus says this, You say I am am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say, I am held when I am falling short, and when I don't belong, you say, I am yours. That song came to my mind several times this week as we came to um, what was for me Thursday and Friday, the last two days of reading in our immersed Bibles this week because our readings took us to the book of Ruth. Um, if you if you missed it for any chance by any chance, um, and after today's message, if you have missed it, I would really encourage you to get get to Immerse Kingdoms page eighty three through eighty eight. It's a short little read, but you we need to see what the Lord is saying to us. Those of you who are on track with us in our reading, or are familiar with the story from the Book of Ruth, you will I'm sure resonate with um, the message that I want to bring you this morning. And I'm going to literally give it the title. When I am weak, then I am strong. Can you say that with me? Now we know those are the words from the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, but we're going to see how it applied to Naomi from the book of Ruth, which we just read about this week, and hopefully we'll receive some encouragement from it this morning. Um, turn with me in your Bibles or in your devices to the book of Ruth, chapter one. The book of Ruth, chapter 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Ruth, anybody remember who used to do that to us all the time? Those of you who are familiar with this story of Ruth will recall the brief synopsis that basically happened like this. A severe famine had come to the land of Israel. And so there was a family who lived in Bethlehem, they decided to leave Israel and go to Moab. Now, let's get the characters of this family in place, first of all. There was a dad, Elimelech, it was the mom, Naomi, and they had two sons, Malan and Kilian. So, they get to Moab and they settle there, but shortly thereafter, the word tells us that the dad, Elimelech, died, leaving the wife, Naomi, with two sons, Those two sons then happened to marry a couple of the local gals, the Moabite women, called Orpah and Ruth. Then, ten years later, giving you the fast version of this, ten years later, the sons died, leaving Naomi with no husband and now no sons. All she has left are her two daughters-in-law. Then Naomi hears that her homeland back in Israel, back in Bethlehem, is experiencing good crops again. The famine is over, so she sets out to return to her homeland with her two daughters-in-law. Along the way, she tries to convince these daughters-in-law that they should return to their homeland of Moab. Eventually, Orpah does return, but Ruth insists on staying with Naomi. So let's pick up the story there in Scripture and see what is given to us regarding Naomi and Ruth, who are now alone on this journey back to Bethlehem. Just dad Elimelech has died. Two sons have died, one daughter-in-law has returned to Moab, and that means there's only two remaining, and that's Naomi and Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 19. The two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked, and here's how she responded. She said, don't call me Naomi. Because her, Naomi, her name, Naomi, meant pleasant one or agreeable, and she didn't want to be called pleasant or agreeable or hopeful or anything of the kind. In fact, what she says is, instead, call me Mara, and that name means bitter. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty." why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. What harvest was it? There is a little verse now in in Hebrews chapter 11 that I want to use, and I, the only way I know how to describe it is it's like a linchpin to kind of hold us together today, hold this message uh, together as I give it to you, because it's a real critical part of the understanding. Now, we understand, we know what Hebrews chapter 11 is. It's often referred to as the hall of faith in as much as it uh, uh, recounts a, a listing of people of great faith who have been mightily used of God. But in verse 35 of Hebrews 11, there's an obscure little verse which speaks of women. And it says this. It says, women received their dead raised to life again. Women received their dead raised to life again. Now, this little verse is speaking of a specific power which God had put uh, into the hands of women throughout the course of history to raise back to life that which was considered to be dead. Though Hebrews 11, when it gives us that verse, it does not elaborate or give us specific examples. We know that one particular example is what we're going to see in this story of Naomi from the book of Ruth. So we have the synopsis of the story, but it requires just a bit more, just a little bit of background to fully grasp the message. And that is this, the book of Ruth Begins in the season of Judges, a book which we also read in Immersed this week. Judges was this period in the history of Israel where God would raise up leaders that would turn the nation back again to godliness. But when that leader would die, the nation would almost immediately slide into ungodliness, sometimes unthinkable godliness. And then the people would begin to sigh and cry again, and when God heard that cry coming from the populace, then he would raise up another leader, which was another judge. And so look at it with me from the angle of Judges chapter 2. We're getting the background here, beginning with verse 12. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and, that, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal in the images of Ashtoreth, and which was the most debasing immorality imaginable. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, and so he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he had warned." and the people were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burdened by oppression and suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse than those who had lived before them. They went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he said, "'Because these people have violated my covenant, which I have made with their ancestors and have ignored my commands, I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. I did this to test Israel, to see whether or not they would follow the ways of the Lord as their ancestors did.'" So now we understand that this famine, which drove Elimelech and Naomi and the boys to leave Bethlehem and migrate to Moab, is probably an indication to us that this was one of those moments in the history of Israel where God Himself was trying to turn the people back. But many were not listening. And I ask you, is it any any different today? Don't you find unusual the parallels that we see between the people of Israel and where we are today? Just about the time that you think the debauchery and corruption of our country cannot get any worse, then along comes another story in the news that takes us to another level of unbelievable. And as a grandfather with two new granddaughters, am I concerned about the trajectory of this country? Of course I am. Like every parent and grandparent in the house. But like you, I am counting very much on Paul's words from Romans that say this where sin abounds, God's grace much more abounds. Are you agreeing with that today? Thank God, this world is not our home and it is not our hope. Amen. So God was trying to turn the people back, and they were experiencing a famine in the land as a result. Now, names that are given in the Bible are very, very critical. They almost always have meaning, and the names of the members of this family that I have presented to you this morning, the names are significant, and they add to the dynamic of the story. So let me give them to you. There's the dad, Elimelech. His name meant kingly or mighty. In other words, what we know from that is he has a living relationship of sorts with God and a heritage of godliness and of knowing the ways of God. That's the dad. The mom is Naomi. I've already given you that through our our text. Her name meant pleasant and agreeable. And then there's the two sons, Malin. His name meant weak and sickly. And there's Killian. His name meant failing and consumption. And yes, I had the same thought you had. Why would a mother name her kids? (laughs) Weak, sickly, failing, and consumption. But that's what we have. As I see it, this man, Elimelech, is a type of those, his name meant kingly and mighty, type of those who claim a relationship with God and and claim a love for God, but they are still to a large extent, are led by their own reasonings. They're kind of half-following God and half-following their own senses. It would be what we would say is a mixture, if you will. Half-following God, half-following their own way, kind of a mixture. And he led his family to a place with a history of mixture, the land of Moab. The Moabites were the descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot after he had escaped Sodom and Gomorrah. And he had an incestual relationship with one of his daughters, and this was the beginning of Moab. That's how it started. A place of spiritual mixture is what is referred to. And Elimelech surely knew that history of Moab. He had to know that taking his family from Israel, from specifically Bethlehem, to Moab, he was not taking them to a place of blessing. He had to know that. It was not the place of blessing that God had promised through Abraham to his people. And when you hear Naomi's testimony where she said, I went out full, but I came back empty, we see that she left Israel for Moab quite certain that there was going to be a prosperous and wonderful future awaiting her family. That's what she thought. But the reality of her experience in this place of spiritual mixture was that her future there was weak, sickly, failing, and to be consumed. There are times, Bethesda, sometimes people who belong to God compromise their faith with disastrous results. We dare not compromise our faith in the Lord Jesus. And yet people of God, people who are part of the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ, I've seen it, you've seen it, they compromise their faith with disastrous results, and that's what we see. And she suffered, Naomi suffered the loss of everything, including the loss of hope for her future. But she returned home now to Bethlehem in Judah, for she had heard a report that the Lord had visited his people again, and the famine was over. Bethesda, there is a report coming to you and me this morning, and it's this, the famine is over. I said the famine is over. There is no famine of the word of the Lord. The table is full and plenteous and the nourishment you'll find at the table brings great sustenance. Those who feel as though they've been in a place of spiritual famine have found that the famine has driven them into all kinds of pursuits and they've done so even in the name of God. And those pursuits have led them into places of spiritual mixture and brought them into places of false hope. For many people, it has been just like the prophet Isaiah said. The people are given this sense that they are about to give birth, Isaiah 37. They're given this sense they're about to give birth. But when the time comes for the promise, there is no strength remaining to bring forth the child. They've gone out with hope, but they're going to return home feeling as if everything around them has been consumed. And I think in the days ahead, we're going to see many people come home. In fact, I very much believe that, and that's a good thing. In fact, I'm going to tell you this. We're already seeing it happening in this day. Many people are coming home. Thank God. But when they return tired and weak, sickly, feeling like failures and consumed, you and I, Bethesda, we have an obligation to receive them with open arms and to help bind up their wounds. They went out full. But they've come back empty. And though they don't even understand or are confused by what God has done, though they are disappointed, they are disheartened, and they are discouraged, we must help them to see that now God is bringing them back into a place where in their weakness, in their weakness, the miraculous can start to happen in the name of Jesus. Somebody ought to say hallelujah to that. I know I'm speaking to someone, whether in this house or online. The Lord has already quickened my heart early this morning. And if you're the one who's hurting today, don't be spiritually myopic, allowing and, and not allow others to minister to, you, to minister to you when you are hurting. You need to receive that ministry. Life's tragic circumstances often lead us to despair, to depression. And when that happens, sometimes it um, obliterates or or, or, uh, deadens our senses to the presence, the immediate presence of God. But even so, when that happens, and if that's who I'm talking to today, he may bring others alongside, maybe even someone who would surprise you, maybe even someone you would not pick to encourage and to strengthen you in the time of your need, whether or not you are receptive. I'm just telling you, if you're that person and you're hurting, you are not alone today. And you ought to thank God that you're not alone today. God, through his church, will provide someone or some ones to help you. You just need to open your arms and your, and your heart to receive it. Naomi suffered not only the death of her husband and two sons. That wasn't all that was left, all that was taken from her. But in so much, she she suffered the loss of the complete death of her lineage, and her husband's name was not going to be continued. In other words, a whole line was gone and destroyed in this place. And we see this from Scripture because here's what she did. She blamed God for this. Here's what she said. I trusted you, Lord. And when she comes back home, she says, Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me agreeable. Call me bitter, because that's what I am. I went out full, full of what, what she thought was faith, even though it was only presumption. Full of what she thought maybe were the plans of God, even though they were really her plans and her husband's plans. Full of false hope. And so she said, but the Lord chose to testify against my hope and my faith. And he has afflicted me. So call me bitter. I've come home. But call me bitter. And please, would you just leave me alone? Just leave me alone. I'm going to go to church. But but don't bother me. I'm going to church because I don't want to go to hell. But I don't really trust God anymore. I have just just enough Christianity in me to... Get me through the walls, uh, through the doors of the church. I have just enough. But would you please leave me alone? Because I'm not pleasant and I'm not agreeable. In fact, I'm bitter. I'm very bitter at what's happened in my life. Just leave me alone in my bitterness. Naomi here is showing us that person who gives up on God's goodness even though they did not give up on God. Selah. And we may have some of those here today. You've not really given up on God. You've just given up on God's goodness. For her, it seemed easier to identify. For Naomi, it seemed easier to identify the hand of Satan rather than the fingerprint of the Savior. She saw the hand of Satan. She knew what had happened to her. And she could identify the hand of Satan when she could not identify the fingerprint of the Savior. For Naomi, the new wine of hope, the new wine of optimism had run dry. But we see Naomi unshaken and sure about three things. Number one, God exists. She wasn't doubting that. God is sovereign. She wasn't doubting that. But God has afflicted her. She certainly didn't doubt that. And such are some of us here today. It didn't turn out the way you thought. Now you feel very much alone. You feel like a failure. For you really have nothing to show for your Christian journey. The devil has come in and stolen, you, stolen from you at every level. Stolen your hope. Your future. Everything, it seems, is gone, including the joy of life. You see... Lord, help me communicate this. Naomi was interpreting God's love for her by her circumstances rather than interpreting her circumstances by God's love. Okay, what does that mean? Can you untangle that, Dan? Well, here's what I would say. Something will always be dominant and primary in your thinking, and other things will be secondary and fall in line thereafter. Either you are going you, you, either you are allowing God's love for you—here I hold it in my hands—you're allowing God's love for you to be judged by your circumstances. It's as if you are putting God's love out here to be judged, but you're shining the light of your circumstances, and you're you're letting looking at God's love through the filter of your circumstances. Or you will allow your circumstances, you'll put that here, and allow that to be judged by God's love. Let the light of God's love shine on your circumstances. Naomi was interpreting God's love for her by her circumstances rather than interpreting her circumstances by God's love. There are certainly times when believers allow their personal pain to disable their ability to see God's providential care in the circumstances of their lives. And that's what we see in Naomi. She seemed to have forgotten that God still can turn tragedy into triumph. For you see all the way back in Genesis chapter 50, it tells us what the enemy intended to harm you, God has intended for your good. I think you should clap for that. Even when we feel abandoned by God, even when we feel completely alone and abandoned by God, I'm here to tell you this. He is giving you his most microscopic attention in a way that you don't even see or feel or understand. So all she had was this girl, Ruth, out of the land of mixture called Moab. And Ruth just simply will not let go. Naomi, deep in her heart, sees no valid reason why, why is that girl even still following me. She even turned her early in the journey and said, um, why are you following me? There's nothing from my life that will be of any advantage to you. You really should go back to your home. Why don't you just stay, go back to where you're from. But there was just something... And thank God for people who have an innate understanding that God is doing something. There was something in the heart of this girl, Ruth, that knew instinctively that God really had not failed, and there was more to this than they could fully understand. How many of you know there's more to the story than what you probably know? You think you've got the whole picture? You don't. I don't care what it is. You don't have it all. I don't have it all. That's why when you hear something, you need to go, whoa, 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 Maybe there's another side to this. That sure sounds impactful. Sure sounds like that could, but you know what? It's possible. God has a completely different side to this story that's going to change it entirely. And they came back to Bethlehem at the beginning of, what was the harvest time? And you know what, church? Many people are coming back to the house of God at harvest time. Thank God for that. Bethesda's doors are wide open to receive you wherever you are. Many people are coming back to the house of God at harvest time, even if they are returning because of loss and fear. We don't have a problem with that. Even if that's the reason, because of this, it is better to go to heaven hungry than to go to hell full. And when they come back to the house of God, we must understand, have eyes to see, and the sensitivity to know that in their coming back, they are not coming back in strength. They are coming back in weakness. So now they entered into the work of the harvest. This is about to get good. And Ruth headed out to the field. She just began to pick up the barley, which was left behind, you know. Not the main stuff, just stuff everybody. That which the reapers failed to get, didn't see. That which was possibly in the corners and nobody even noticed that it was there. She was laboring seemingly small and forgotten until one day. Say that, until. With an attitude, please. Until. There you go. Until one day, the eye of the one who can change everything fell upon her. He said, who is that? Whoa. Here she is, church, laboring as the forgotten, laboring with deep questions in her own heart, laboring with disappointment for her mother-in-law, Naomi, when suddenly the eye of the kinsman redeemer, Boaz, falls upon her. And what was happening was this. God looked down from heaven and essentially was saying to Naomi and to Ruth, you thought I had forgotten you. I haven't forgotten you, I haven't forsaken you. In fact, quite the contrary. I have, in fact, reserved for you a special purpose in the kingdom of God. You think you're alone? You're not alone. You think you failed? No, you've not failed. I've brought you home in weakness because I've been faithful to you. I brought you home in weakness because I have heard your cry. Long ago, I saw your story. Long ago, I saw your sorrow. And I'm determined to bring you home. And I'm going to do something through you that can only come from the hand of... Is anybody hearing this this morning? Now, I understand I'm telling you what happened to Ruth and Naomi. I'm going to give that again, and I want you to apply that to your life. You thought I'd forgotten you. I, I haven't forsaken you. Quite the contrary. In fact, I've reserved for you a special purpose in the kingdom of God. You think you're alone? You're not alone. You think you've failed? No, you've not failed. No, I brought you home in weakness. I brought you to this point of weakness because I've been faithful to you because I have heard you cry. Long ago, long ago, I saw your sorrow and I determined to bring you home. But I'm going to do something through you that can only come from the hand of God. It cannot come from plans. It cannot come from optimism. It doesn't come from anybody else's enthusiasm. It comes from God alone. It is something that others may not see, but those who are close to the heart of God will have the eyes now to see it. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to receive that today. Bethesda, we must understand, it is not in our strength that the kingdom of God is advanced. It is in our weakness that God is allowed to be God in us when we have nothing left but him. Now I think we know that in principle, but to get us to apply that, we still want to be the strong one. We still wanna have it all together. We wanna make sure the presentation goes well. We always do that. Can I tell you for the 33 years, I was the music pastor in this house I can't tell you how many hundreds of those Sundays I dismissed the choir from the choir room. And I walked from that room to that door. And the whole way I was saying, God, I'm counting on your word today that says in my weakness you are made strong. Within me, I don't have it. Either physically, emotionally, with my circumstances of life, whatever it is, I don't have it. But my responsibility in the house of the Lord today is to lead the house of Bethesda in worship before a holy God? Will you take me in my weakness? And would you let your anointing rest upon us? And I can tell you, my testimony to you today is, time after time, after time, after time, when I stood at my weakest moment in on this platform, all of a sudden I saw the hand of God move and the presence of God fill this place, almost as if he was saying, and you thought you were the one making this happen. It is not in our strength that the kingdom of God is advanced. It is in our weakness that God is allowed to be God. When We have nothing left but Him. When there's nowhere else to go, when there's no amount of natural enthusiasm that can carry us, when all of our natural strength and resources have run dry and our natural hopes are dead in God and everything else is gone and we come back with nothing else to do but to simply gather the barley grains that others have passed by, the leftovers. Wasn't worth picking up by everybody else. They passed by or they've seen it as insignificant. And can I tell you, because I have such a sensitivity to that, that's why God has put a compassion in my heart for the weary, the weak, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the poor, the hungry, the imprisoned, the destitute. Maybe they cannot advance a secular agenda, but they can undoubtedly advance the agenda of the kingdom of God. And eventually, because of her marriage to the kinsman redeemer, a child was born to Ruth, and the child was laid into the arms of Grandma Naomi. Ruth chapter 4, verse 14. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. Oh, you have no idea. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he's the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby, and I love what this version says, and cuddled him to her breast. Have I mentioned I have two granddaughters? Have I said that? (laughs) Who both are at the cuddle stage. It's so wonderful. I know it won't last long, and so I'm savoring every moment. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said now at last Naomi has a son again and they named him what was his name? Obed. He became the father of Jesse and then the grandfather of David. I had a thought this morning. Significantly God did not send a prophet to correct Naomi. He did not send a judge to punish her. He sent barley, Boaz, and a baby. (laughs) The three Bs. And the child which was laid into the arms of Naomi brought her family name back to life again. Her family name which had died with the loss of her sons is now brought back to life through this child of the miraculous. This child which has been provided by the kinsman redeemer. This child which was given to her in Bethlehem has brought her and her house back to life again, has brought hope to her future. May I reference my Hebrews verse again? Women received their dead raised to life again. Their dead hopes... They're dead plans, they're dead dreams, they're dead spirituality. God says, you open your arms and you're going to be astonished at what I can put in your arms. Naomi is holding in her arms the seed of every promise that God has made to Abraham. We must understand that this child that she holds is the direct physical lineage of King David, and subsequently Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and after Jesus Christ, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. She held that in her arms. And let us never forget, this child is not given to her when she's strong. Wouldn't you prefer that? Of course, we all would. But rather, at the time of her greatest weakness and need. How could she possibly know that what she is holding in her arms is the very promise of God to bless the world? It's all contained in this child which is given to this bitter woman It's all contained in this child which is given to this lady who has lost all natural hope. Which is given to this woman who does not see herself as a great player in the work of the kingdom of God. Sees herself as insignificant. Which is given to this woman who has great questions about the past and great hopelessness for the future. That's who this child was given to. Which is given to this woman who really has now only one daughter-in-law and they are all considered to be among the poorest of the poor, no longer with great plans, dreams, and ambitions, but she has come back to Bethlehem in weakness, only to experience the greatest miracle of all. And God puts the promise of Abraham in her arms. For that child, Obed would become the father of Jesse, as I said, who would have several sons. The prophet Samuel was going to walk into Jesse's house and say, no, 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 no." Nope, no, not you have any more? Oh, I got one out. Get him. Yes. And then David was then to become the greatest king that Israel would ever know apart from Jesus Christ. All the way through the lineage of David, the seed of promise was gonna continue to travel until Christ himself was born in Bethlehem in a manger. Jesus Christ would live for 33 years on this earth. He would go to a cross. He would give his life. He would be raised from the dead. He would send the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit would come to you and I who are the church of Jesus Christ in the year 2020. How could Naomi have known she was holding the church, the whole church in her arms that day? She was holding the church in India. She was holding in her arms the church in Asia, the church in Europe. She was holding the seven churches of Revelation. She was holding the 12 apostles. She was holding all of it in her arms, and she was not doing it in her strength. She was doing it in her weakness. So what does that say to you? What does that say to me? The Lord shows us through this story through Naomi that he does not despise our He doesn't cast you aside. He doesn't turn you away. He doesn't put a stamp of rejection on you when you are weak. And you feel like you don't have it together and have it all. This story shows us that God does not despise our weakness. He does not despise our struggles. He does not have a problem with our questions. He doesn't despise our bitterness even if it is toward him. It's an amazing story. How this child is not given to her when she's strong, but in a season of her weakness and need. Now you know what. Naomi had an option. She could have. She she had to open her arms to this child. She could have said, "No, oh, Ruth, you keep him. You keep him." No, she opened her arms. There had to be something in her heart which told her that this is much more than she could have ever hoped for in her own strength. And can I just say this to you? That was the obvious response of Naomi to open her arms and receive the child. If you'll open your arms to what God has for you today in this house. If anything that has been said here resonates with you. Maybe you've found you've come to the house of the Lord today in your weakness, not in your strength. Full of questions, full of doubts full of insecurity, full of discouragement, depression, discouragement, all all of it. Those who feel small, if you will open your arms to what God has for you. Those of you who feel marginalized, cast aside, maybe you feel insignificant. Those of you who feel like the best wine of your life was taken years ago. Those of you who feel dry, hurting, empty, and have questions about God can I just ask you to do one thing today would you just open your arms to him and receive I know the past isn't pretty I know the past isn't what you would have probably designed because you went out full but you've come home empty and in your emptiness you want to be left alone if you will just open your arms you're going to find a new hope for your family dear one I say that to the person who's watching online today. There's a new hope for your family today, if you will open your arms. You'll find a new understanding of the miraculous. The miraculous that in our weakness, the sovereign almighty God chooses to hand us, I can't believe it, the testimony of his son. And God is willing one more time to show himself to be God if he can find a people who are willing to walk before him. And the awakening that is coming will not be ushered in by the strong, uh -uh. but one more time, perhaps one last time, I believe the awakening that's coming will be ushered in by the weak. Would you bow your head with me in prayer today? Lord, would you help us to understand these truths? I'm counting on you, Holy Spirit those who have ears today to hear, that you will rivet the truth of your word and what you have given us to their hearts today. Help us to understand that there is miraculous power in weakness. And the truth is this, when we are weak, then we are strong. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you stand with me, Bethesda?